0: And what we found was we had three and a half times the number of murders committed by a knife than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. The closest thing to us was Vilnius uh, uh, in Lithuania and um, Romania. They were the closest things to us. Um, The the homicide rate or the murder rate amongst the at-risk group was for the UK, for young men, was I think it was one in five in Fatlider in Scotland,
1: it was one in two. Hi folks, thanks for listening to our Brothers in Arms podcast. The reason we do the podcast is to normalise the conversation around men's mental health. We have fantastic resources on our website, brothers which you can access or point any man in need towards. These include our online platform MenGage, our Brothers in Arms Drive app, where you can access our free therapy services and much, much more. If what we've talked about on the podcast today has resonated with you and you've enjoyed listening, please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And remember to share with friends and social media. Okay folks, welcome once again
2: to another podcast with uh, Brothers in Arms. I'm here today with Gary Goldie and my guest today is John Carnican. John um, is a former senior police officer who in 2005 founded the VRU. Initially in Strathclyde, and uh, thereafter the following year in 2006, it was made Scotland wide uh, as a result of some government funding that was made available. The year after that, John was awarded the Queen's Police Medal. And a few years after that, in 2010, you were made a Fellow of the Faculty of Public Health. Yes. And then in 2013, you were awarded the OBE. In 2014, uh, you retired, but you were still uh, acting as a consultant to the VRU. And also that year, you were very uh, fortunate or honoured uh, to be awarded an honorary degree Doctor of Laws at St. Andrews University. Oh. Uh, you've also written a book called uh, Violence, Culture and Shared Public Service Agenda. But you've been involved in quite a lot of uh papers and publications one we'll maybe talk about later on which interests me um was it's called on being a man uh 2014 subtitled four scottish men in conversation so that tickled my uh (laughs) self i thought yeah this this could be quite interesting so i mean we talked about it just before we started recording here The reason we're here is is in connection with my initiative that the BRU are now doing there with Kirsty Giles. Uh, Gary, can you give us a wee bit of an insight into what this is involving?
1: Of course, absolutely. Uh, First of all, um, I guess I'll just be uh, the cheeky bastard that I'm used to being and say, from time to time I might um, interpret for the listeners. Uh, We've got two (laughs) police officers in the room here and uh, some of the things that I maybe uh, think that people might not quite get, um, I'll interpret. So VRU, um, you might have heard us dropping uh, the VRU in. The VRU is the Violence Reduction Unit started by John, as uh, Jamie says, in 2005 and still continuing to this day. Uh, And it's uh, indeed, I believe it's evolved quite a bit, evolved into... Uh, To the point where Brothers in Arms have been asked to do a joint venture with the Violence Reduction Unit for Scotland Uh, and we've brought in uh, partners with Rebel Rebel which is a barber's and also um, we're having help from Panther Milk who are uh, (laughs) an alcoholic oat milk brand but want to have social responsibility around their alcohol brand. Basically what we're doing is we're creating safe barber space. The safe barber space will be in the form of a horse box converted to a barber space um, and the barbers who will be operating in there will have received training from the violence reduction unit in having conversation with men around their mental health and wellbeing. Uh, so that's what we're working on just now. We're, we're getting along the road with it. We've done two training sessions. The next thing to come will be a pilot run uh, at Glasgow, Glasgow Clyde College. We're looking really forward to that and uh, as i say there's there's definitely thanks that goes to john for initiating uh, the VRU and allowing it then obviously to flourish and uh, come almost full circle to provide uh, support for men in their mental health yeah
2: yeah so that that's really why your name popped up and I, I was keen for you to come in and give us some insight um you know so what i'd like to know is you know, I've given a sort of brief summation of of what your career was up to now. And I understand your career now is something you've been working towards for a few years. <laughs> and like myself, you are now looking after one grandchild, two, two. two grandchildren. Yes. Okay. That's great. Uh,
0: no full time, you understand. But.
2: Hard work, <laughs> hard work, but very rewarding. Um, can you tell us, uh, John, about what led you to forming the, the VRU, the Violence Reduction Unit. Tell us a wee bit about how it worked and why you think it was needed at that time and why previous methods had failed uh, in relation to the police addressing this. All
0: oh, 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 the easy questions first, Jamie. You've never changed. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've had we an
1: interrogation going you know, on here, you know. Um, well, well, I'll tell you,
0: uh, um, in 2000, I was... Um, deputy Head of the CID in Strathclyde, Criminal Investigation, and um, Willie Ray was the Chief Constable. And at that time, uh, um, we had we had lots of murders, lots of murders. Um, and around about maybe be two thousand and four, beginning of two thousand and four, um, I was asked as one of the detective supers. We had about eight of them. Um, one of my responsibilities was homicide Um, and we were asked to write a homicide reduction strategy and at that time we had just started a new system that was getting adopted by police forces throughout the the UK an intelligence system but we're trying to be a bit smarter about what we did we were starting to recruit analysts um, who could better understand data could better understand crime figures and, and and help us with that. And the principal analyst at, at uh, Strathclyde was Karen McCluskey and Karen's office was not far from mine in Pitt street. And we would see each other at meetings and coffees or something like that. And, and, and Karen, it, it was her and I that started the VRU. Karen's got a brain the size of Belgium. You know, she's just one of the people who's really, really bright. Um, and so we had a chat about it and she said, look, I, I, I've, um, I've just transferred up here about six, seven months ago. I can't kind of believe the levels of violence you've got here. She's mm-hmm. already tasked some of the analysts to do some work on it. And what we found was we had three and a half times the number of murders committed by a knife than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. The closest thing to us was Vilnius uh, um, uh, in Lithuania. Um, I think it's Lithuania and um, Romania. They were the closest things to this. Um, the the homicide rate or the murder rate amongst the at risk group was for the UK for young men was, I think it was one in five, uh, and Strathclyder in Scotland, it was one in two. It was a huge thing. So we thought, right, okay, we need to do this differently. So we just sat down and, and started thinking about how we might do it differently. And we went back to Willie Ray and said, okay, Homicides are not the problem. Violence is the problem because 99.9% of homicides are unintentional homicides. I mean, somebody gets stabbed and you know, you and I know that if you stab someone in the upper torso, which is usually how they die. And that's usually, that was the thing that happened and in, in, um, in, in particularly in Strathclyde that they're going to die. But if they get to the A&E in time, they might get saved. So it was, so we had to look at the violence. We had to look at the violence, not a homicide at the violence. And so we started doing that because we found that Miles maybe had 115 uh, murders uh, in Scotland. We probably had something like two and a half thousand attempt murders. And you think, well, that's a huge number. How do you, how do you handle mm. that? So we did that. So we said, and he said, how do we do it? And we said, and this was just in a meeting sitting in his, sitting in his office with a cup of coffee and, and, and said, you need to get a, a, a three or four smart folk, lock them in a room and don't let them out that they get a, a solution. He says, Okay find another two people and I'll get you a room and that was how the you started and it was just as simple as that Willie Ray was outstanding he talked about paying it forward there was no project initiation document there was no plan there was no vision statement there was no schedules and outcomes mm. there was no targets go and think about it mm. come back and tell us. and it was fabulous it was so liberating so we picked another couple of folk Will Linden who's still at the VRU. Will was yeah, an analyst. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Brought Will in, and we brought in Alan Woods. And Alan Woods was a guy who worked for uh, me at one point in crime policy. Really smart boy. And what I liked about him, he was a bit like you, Jamie. He was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he knew how to speak. Tr- he knew how to speak truth to power. And you need that. You don't mm-hmm. want somebody who's coming in and going say, Now you're mm-hmm. fabulous." You want somebody who says, "Now wait a minute, I have a think about that." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was really good at that. So we sat down and said, "Right, who do we need involved in this?" And we just went right about the room and wrote boards up, education, Mm -hmm. health, social work, communities, gangs, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's how it started. And then it was Alan that found out in 1997, the world health organization had declared violence, a public health problem. It's a public health issue violence. So I thought, what? So we started, contacted them, got in touch with them. I went to see the, director of public health at Glasgow who at that time was Harry Burns, Harry Burns became the chief medical officer, Sir Harry Burns for Scotland, Got an appointment with him, went in and said, Harry, we're for the police. What are you doing about violence? What do you mean? Well, what are you doing about violence? It's a public health issue. No. Mm-hmm. Right. So that started a partnership with him. That was phenomenal. When he became the national the chief medical officer, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. in 2006, his first annual report, had a section on it on violence and yeah. it was written by us. That was the first time it had been done. Yeah. So we had a conference in 2008, you need a conference 2008. Mm-hmm. These are just the big milestones mm-hmm. in 2008. Mm-hmm. And we said, uh, it was a WHO conference. It was the first time we were the only police members of the World Health Organization. No other police in the world had taken on it as a public health thing. We took it on. Wally wow. Ray said, go for it. Yeah. Government said, go for it. Um, when we, when we took on the national role, it was uh, Jack McConnell, Cathy Jimmison. They were, that was justice minister and, and first minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then very quickly, SNP got in and it was Kenny McCaskill and Alex Salmon and we thought we were about to get kicked into touch here because politicians come in and say, nah, that was their idea. We want our idea. Mm-hmm. Within two days of them being there, we get summoned by our uh, uh, contact, the boy we liaised with, Richard Fogel at, at um, the Scottish government and he said, um, they want more of the same as long as, as long as they're here, you're here. What do you need? Great. So totally. that was, that was, that was how it picked up. So the first thing we, we we started to do was, um, and it's, it's really pretty mundane stuff. We started to speak to people because you know, I, I think I'd say to, to you, Jamie, in discussions, no matter the solution, no matter the question, the answers relationships, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. And that's how mental health is absolutely key to it. We started looking and trying to understand better. We started looking at a research that we done by James Heckman, a Nobel laureate, who says you need to spend money in the early years. For every pound you spend in the early years, you need to spend seven pounds in adolescence to get the same result. Uh, Richard Tremblay, who's a, 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 an emeritus professor of biology and child psychiatry at Ottawa, he said, we don't learn how to be violent, we we'll learn how not to be violent. Suzanne Zee an, an early year developmental psychologist, the most important four years of your life are up to age three. You're born connected, you stay connected. When you become yeah. disconnected, that's when you get problems. That's when the issues start. Yeah. And, and when, when babies are born, they get a spike of oxytocin. That's the love Hormone. That's the one that makes you feel good. When my wife watches Richard Gere, she gets a spike of oxytocin. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you know. Sadly, it it happens when she watches me, but there well, you go. Well, That's well. 48 years, it's taken us a while to get to this stage, but we're there now. Uh, um, you good. get that spike because yes. human babies are completely helpless. The only way they can survive is to adopt very quickly a relationship with somebody who can help them. And that's yeah. their principal caregiver. Fundamentally, that's where they're there. They're saying, if I need love, I'm I'm geared to survive. So that love hormone—that's how kids smile at you and make you feel good. You and know, the, the, just to cut in there, because it's just—I it, do it, cut in because it, I can.
2: Hits on something that, that again I made a note of there. So so that early relationship and that kind of thing for me growing up was part of my relationship, mm-hmm. difficult relationship mm-hmm. with my father, uh, and that that came from that attitude of an older generation. My father was born in 1924 of, you know, scalp mm-hmm. first ask questions oh, yeah, later. Yeah. Yeah. So then does that then draw into the next generation and does it almost become a, a sort of thing that somebody's passing down, oh, almost right. like a genetic thing through the generations that, that the way to deal with, with a situation is deal with it violently, right. either physically right. violently or verbally yeah. being violent towards oh. people oh. and uh, I, I'm interested because you mentioned there about how much, you know, Willie Ray was you know, pivotal in, in, in getting this set up, but I think we talked about it just before we came on air here and uh, I certainly remember from my point of view at my level it been talked about and people poo-pooing it you know, and, and being very surprised mm-hmm. that somebody like yourself from the background mm-hmm. you were, you know, come up through the ranks and been involved in, in all divi- these different divisions and and ended up in charge of the CID and, and thinking, well, what's he doing? Why is why is he doing that? And I remember having this conversation with somebody saying at the time and me saying, well, what we're doing isn't he working. Uh-huh. So somebody needs to look at it. I says, I've worked in I worked in Postle park in 1978 to 89 violence beard street easter house violence pollock mm-hmm. m- even more violence you know as i mentioned to you first murder i dealt with in pollock a 13 year old victim a 14 year old mm-hmm. accused so something had to be done why do you think then john why do you think that that previous methods had been failed and, and what in your estimation were the previous well, the methods. previous methods
0: were, you see, criminal justice is a service of last resort. If it's come to us, everything's broken. Everything's broken. Education's broken. The family's broken. Everything. Because the people who don't come to us are the folk who do okay. The people who don't end up in the criminal justice. So we're the service of last resort, but would become or had become the service of first resort. And it was incredible. I, I actually took, I had spoken when I was, before I came here today, I did some preparation, which isn't normally like me, but there was. I remember I had spoken to the Law Society um, a long time ago, and um, I had I had checked out the amount of legislation because remember they made anti-social be- let's make anti-social behaviour illegal. That fixed it, really. Because yeah, yeah. the only thing politicians can do is spend money and make laws, and they're not keen on spending money. So they make laws, and all they're doing is passing it on to somebody else. Let's, like, like, right now, let's make immigration bad. But if you're not getting the resources to deal with it, it's not going to get any better. But no. I looked at some stats. From the end of the Second World War up until 1980, there was one major crime bill every decade, right? So there's five or six in that time. 1997 till 2010, the average was 50 per decade. 50. Yeah. Just because
1: complicating the system
0: man. They just, we'll make it illegal. We'll make it illegal. Yeah. We'll, oh, yeah. Two years in jail. Make it five years in jail. Uh-huh. 12, I mean, if that worked, America would be the safest place in the world. Yeah. It doesn't work. No. It's absurd. And, and no. we know it doesn't work. The evidence points to it not working. But I, I think to get by, I think one of the things that helped us at the time or made it different at the time several things you know that zeitgeist um at that time i had 30 years police service i had been in the trenches i had done it I had a good reputation of the police i had a good reputation with some of the, the the newspaper outlets and the media because i had done stuff for them um karen really switched on really bright and we get right into the research and looked at it so I was saying, and Molly Ray allowed us to do it. So I was saying things out loud. I remember we were in place for about two years, and, and STV came in interviews with Mike Edwards, and um, because the murders had gone down in started from I think it was eight, eighty four to seventy nine or something like that, and he said, "You must be really pleased that, that, that you know the the murders gone down." And I said, "Well, can I say two things? One, I'm not I'm not pleased that seventy nine people have been murdered, and two, I'm not sure we'd anything to do with it." I don't know how it happened. Mm. And he sort of looked at me and I said, seriously, I don't, I I just don't. I said, but I'll tell you what I will do. Bloody find out how it happened. And then Mm. we started talking about early years. Mm. So in the early years, would you, you know, and I used to say, right, imagine a close in Easter house, six houses. And on the same day, each house, there's a baby born and they come home to that same street, that same close at the same time. And the boy, boy in the bottom becomes a police officer. The wee boy on that side becomes a teacher. That wee boy up there becomes a heroin addict. That wee boy up there commits suicide. That wee boy up there, he's hmm. still in the jail because he robs everything he can't help his he cell, that's just the is. And this other wee boy over there, we don't know where he is, he's disappeared. How do you think that happens? They're on the same street, same school, same time, same place, because what happens behind the door is where it really matters. Because nobody sees, when when education Absolutely. talks about, we're here yeah. to educate your kids, well, my kid was five when they went to school. And see, by the time they came there, they were actually not too bad. They could walk, talk, mm-hmm. they could tie their shoelaces, go to the mm-hmm. toilet, they understood respect. Mm-hmm. That's education. And that's
2: be- that's the key, isn't it? You because know we keep
0: handing things over to other people to do it's yeah. somebody else's thing. And it's mm-hmm. and that's not I'm not blaming parents, to be clear about that. I'm no. absolutely not blaming parents. It's what you were talking about from one to the other. If you're a woman, if you if your job as a woman when you're pregnant is to create a safe environment for your baby, right. You can do that. But you imagine you're a woman who's living with an alcoholic, abusive father. You're living in poverty. You don't know if the the house isn't warm. You're suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. Now try and create a safe environment for your baby. You can't do it. And so that's that, I I think the word for it is salutinogenics, where it moves from one to the next. No mother lifted up her baby and said, I'm going to make your life a nightmare. Nobody ever did that. And if you get into Pullman and speak to the young guys in there, no matter how bad their life is, no matter how bad it is, what they'll say to you, they'll say, I don't want the same for my son, and you can't say a bad word about their mothers. Is that bond, particularly with their mothers? Fathers are important, but particularly with their mothers, it's absolutely unbreakable. Mm. It's, an interesting,
1: it's, it's interesting. It's interesting the way you talk. You know what you're talking about. I'm actually quite glad that I can just shut up and let you guys do it. That's that's nice. But actually, I, the conversations that I have with people, everything, everything in life is just a conditioning. You know, some people are conditioned to run 10Ks Mm -hmm. in 30 minutes. Other people are conditioned to lift 100 kilograms off the floor. I talk about that Mm -hmm. because my background's in the gym. Um, But it's conditioning. It's exactly as you say. If you get conditioned from that young age that it's normal for people to get murdered, Mm -hmm. to to get stabbed, to get slashed, to get whatever, then Mm -hmm. you you can never know any different. You will never be able to be any different, Mm -hmm. you know, or you will be in a very low percentage that doesn't manage to escape that Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you may well have looked well into how does that get to happen but it's it, it it comes back to that early conditioning and and for us to really learn and realize that some of the thought patterns you know i'm always bringing it back to men's mental health and whatever and mental health in general some of the thought patterns that we have are not our own fault no you know, no. the, the way we think and the way no. that the way that we perceive the world, what we believe to be normal, uh, is conditioned into. Is
0: no. at a very very early stage. You, you know what, what's really interesting is, um the, the no matter who I speak to about this, and 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 I'll speak to you about more science in a minute. But no matter how much I speak to you about this, and the science that supports these these theories, because there are no theories actually, these facts, is huge. There's mountains of it. There's mountains of it. Uh, um, and, and how we don't use it more, it's a, a difficult question. I, I, I couldn't answer that fully, but w- we know instinctively. So when I'm speaking to, to audiences, I always ask them, before I start speaking, I ask them one question. I say, before I start, could you put your hand up if you're not a son or a daughter? And I've never had a, and I've spoken <laughs> all over the world. I've spoken in Peru, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, the state. <laughs> I've spoken <laughs> all over the world. And I always ask the same question. Sometimes when in obviously. Um, and it's always, a, and so what I say is I'm speaking to humans, I'm speaking to human social workers, mm-hmm. human doctors, human nurses, human cops, human mm-hmm. teachers, yeah. but because they're in these professions, we, we, we've held these professions in high regard. So it's like, for instance, if, if you're a, if you're a, a, a teacher, it's unprofessional to cuddle a child. What an absolute piece of nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's the stage we've got to. And so we've distanced these things and become professional. Uh, um, When I, one of the other people that uh, that Willie Ray put us in touch when we started was a guy called Alan Sinclair. uh, Alan uh, worked for Scottish Enterprise. He's an economist. And it was him that told me about Heckman and we found Heckman. But one of the things they had done, they had asked employers in Scotland, what skills are your uh, employees lacking when when you employ them? What skills do you think? He says, no, we, we didn't know what to expect, but we, we came back. Now, see the skills like reading and writing? They were an issue. The skills were um, relational skills, non-cognitive skills, communication skills, uh, and problem-solving skills. They were the, they were the ones that, they, they, that were really difficult. They were the ones at the bottom end. Now, those are non-cognitive skills. You know when you get the non-cognitive skills? Your early years. Because when you're young, what you do? I mean, you think babies sitting on the floor, batting up and down, or watching what you do. You, you know that I'm a grandfather and watch them. I can see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're testing things. They're seeing what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. They understand facial expressions. You, mm-hmm. you. I mean, my grandson. If I just go no, and I change my face and I don't react to him when he's trying to, and he'll try and make me laugh because mm-hmm. he's done something bad, and I don't do it, and he can see him. They absolutely. That's that communication that's there the whole time. Mm. They learn to communicate, negotiate, to compromise. They learn empathy, they learn to judge risk. And Mm. so when they come up, when these young guys go, they don't say, I'm gonna be violent today. That's the only option they have in the tactical options menu is violence. They can't communicate, they can't negotiate, they can't compromise because they're living in this macho man's bloody world and their dad says, I mean, if a wee boy runs into his mommy and the west of Scotland in particular, Scotland in the main, if he runs into his mommy and says, "Mommy, that big boy just barred me in the way for school," you get back out there and get him mm-hmm. here, and you get a four by two or a brick in your hand, and you sort it out. Yeah. And then if you do that, you might get a cuddle. Mm-hmm. Really? So that? I mean, uh, yeah, and uh,
2: that's, that's I, I, again that that this takes me right back to the beginning for me. You know, looking at going into <coughs> Postle Park, and you know, we're talking here about education. My my I'm very proud to say my daughter's a deputy head at a primary school in Easterhouse. Uh, so she's dealing with all the things you're mm-hmm. talking about as well as educating the kids. But I remember going to work in Apostle Park and a friend of mine who I went to school with, his father was the deputy head at Apostle Park Secondary, which is no longer there. A really good guy was and a really forward thinking guy. And he said to me, you know, people look at kids here and they go, they're bound to fail. They're caught in that as the the experts would call it, that spiral of poverty and deprivation, and there's no way out for them. Wasn't strictly speaking true at that point, because in Postle Park there was a lot of engineering works, there was the city bakeries, there was the Ascot factory, the blind craft, etc. So there was quite a lot of work there initially. But once you start taking that away, and then the school get taken away, and there wasn't that drive to try and identify kids who were willing to step away from the, the norm or where they were being stereotyped mm-hmm. or where peer pressure was yeah. leading them towards violence or crime, there was an opportunity for them to step out of that, uh-huh. you know? And 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 it always, when then in a few years after that, when drugs came into Boston Park, and we talked about this a few times, you know, when heroin first came into the city, Apostle Park was one of the first, if not the first areas that it hit. Now, I remember having conversations with people at a party and people who didn't live in that area weren't involved in my kind of work. They would say things like, I don't understand why people in Apostle Park take drugs, to which I would reply, if you lived there in Apostle Park, you'd probably be taking drugs as well because there is no hope for any of these people now, because all these factories have now shut. By the time I left in 89, all these engineering works, all these places I talked with were shut mm-hmm. and the school was taken away. So they were now being bussed out to different areas, which then created its own problems mm-hmm. in terms of, of gangs and violence. Yeah. And it, the whole thing just went right. Yeah, if you and look what,
0: what we did, I mean, the solution to it, you know, was, was the, the peripheral housing estates and, 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 you know, Dan McGarvey will speak about it much better than me. But you know, the peripheral housing estates. Remember, Castle Milk was dry for goodness' sake. There was hardly any shops there. Uh, now, if you can, it'll just be bookies, and and it'll be uh, off-sales. Do you know? I mean, you'll not get to see that not to Bears then. You might be have an independent wine dealer, perhaps. You know, but you but you're not. But I mean, but that's what happens. Yeah, but, I mean, no, that's absolutely. what that's what happens. And so people look around about them and say, this is it. And and when teachers say, you know, you you're you're just going to be like your father. You're all you're going to be. But it's very, very hard for parents to break that cycle and and, and push folk through if, if that's all that they know. When we started the gang stuff, I mean, they, they built the fort and they said, "Oh, people can get jobs at the fort in Easterhouse. The territorialism was so bad. Now, if you lived in the the, the boatmen's archway, you wouldn't through that. You would walked through the tap end to go to the, to get to your job, you get done in yeah, because you'd yeah. spent your your early years fighting it, uh-huh. and 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 it, it carried on. So we did the gangs thing, and the gangs thing was called it was. The, the, tech, the, 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 the scientific expression was, it's a focused resistance model. And it came for the States. And what they did is, you brought the folk in who were in gangs, because we knew who they were. Nobody was hiding. We knew who they were. I no, mean, they weren't any Moriarty's, you know, we yeah. brought them in. And what we said was, we know you're in a gang, pack it in, because see if you don't, we're going to make your life a misery. We're going to make your parents' life a misery. This place is going to be horrible for you. Every time we see you within the law, you're going to be getting it. However, see if you want to do something else, Come and see us and we will guarantee you that we will help you be as good as you can be and do whatever you like. And we get the community to say that, we get the community, we get members of the community come in and say, we've had enough of this son, don't do this anymore, I want to walk down the street at night. Listen to your mommy, even you get m- mothers in. Mm-hmm. I remember we we did this thing called a call-in and it came for the States and we brought them all in to share the Glasgow Sheriff Court. We had about 10 call-ins. We had about 90 kids at a time, they're young people at a time up to about 23, 24 years of age. And, and we'd open it up with a cop in full uniform, getting the big threat. And when we were doing that, we would have screens up that would show all their faces, because we knew who they were, what gangs they were in, the maps about where they met and where they fought, all the stats, we put them up. And after we did that, then we'd have, who did we have next, oh, Max, a Maxilla facial surgeon. I'll speak about Marv in a minute, Maxilla facial surgeon. Um, because the young guys, when the cop was thawing, you could see them going, oh, come ahead, come <laughs> on." You know, they had that, you had that, that, come on. Mm-hmm. The, the maxillofacial surgeon, he would go in and say, I'm a maxillofacial surgeon. Uh, I, I trained there to fix cleft palates on babies. Because some babies are, and they show pictures of them. He said, after training to be a doctor, it took me another five years. I can fix babies like that. But you know, I've got a wait list. Do you know why? Because I'm stitching up guys that you stab and you slash. And these babies have to wait, and you could see them starting to look down. And then we had a mother going whose son was murdered. And she just spoke like a mum. I could get emotional just talking about it. Because every time I talk about it, you know, you talk about triggering things. I go back to that day when because mm-hmm. I was against this calling. I didn't think it'd be a good thing. And they'll know, listen, the play listened. And she stood up and said, My son died. See, when I walk about Asta, I sometimes pick up his favorite, because he used to like you know, uh, chicken kebabs. And I used to get him and put him in and think, he's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I lift my phone and say, I've not heard from you, Robert. And then I remember he's dead. And then I get his room and I can still smell him. Mm. You know, don't do that to your mommy, son. Don't do that. And you could see them. Mm-hmm. Shame's a powerful motive here. And the last guy we had speaking with, Jack Black from Mind Store. Jack had been a, a social worker in Easterhouse and mm-hmm. he spoke to them. And then we had an event at Celtic Park where we had them all together and Jack Black gave them a two day mind store program for nothing. So we went to that 85 and them all mixed up at round tables, you know, right? There were only two we had to eject at one point, but, uh, um, Jack Black had said, why are you here? What do you want to get out the next two days? And there was they, now these were the boys that were, you know, they didn't, one guy at the back, maybe early 20s stood up and he had the scar right down the side of the face. The real, and as we used to always say, scar. He's a hard man. No, scar on his face means he's a victim. Think about that. Uh, and he stood up and said, you know what I want to know? See at that table there? I've been fighting with him since about 11. I want to know why. And I said, listen, kid, we all want to know why. We all want to know. And it's because they didn't know any better. The conditioning you were talking about, Gary, that's what we do. Friday night, you go to the gym. Friday night, you go to the dancing. Friday night, you go to the pub. Friday night, we organise a gang fight. Get a big carry out and go for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it just, well, my dad did that. Oh, but my auntie, my uncles did that. That's what you do. And you mm-hmm. just go on with it. And as soon as we said to them, going to no do that any didn't not And we get fit organised for them. We got, you know, I mean, some of the we've got some it's, real stars. Yeah, it's yeah, you know. an
1: obsessing thing, right? Because, you know, I laughed about the whole first end thing because <laughs> I joke about this whole idea that I grew up in the... The rough streets are Den, Mugai, whatever. But Bearsden and Mugai, they fought each other hi, was a lot. Of, hi, my hi. brother got his face slashed in Mugai. Hi. being from Bearsden, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but but it, it does interest me because I see. Guys that did used to fight, you know, now they're on Facebook and they're pals and they're bantering with each mm-hmm. other and all that. And I go, there's something good about that. There is something good about that, you know. But it could have happened a decade Aye. or 15 years before Aye. and there would have been a lot less stabbings, injuries, Aye, slashings, absolutely. murders, maybe, uh, as I say, less so in the rough rough and tough streets. A uh, uh, bear's animal guy. But um, see, I it, wanted to do uh, the guy.
0: See, when we're doing the gangs program, what we see, pu- public health. The whole notion of public health is—it's like a bell graph. You want to move the biggest amount of people. You want to make the biggest difference you possibly can. They point one working in on the ages. Do you know? But that's it. But again, about- you know
1: what, what's uh, what's interesting to me. Again, listening, you guys were obviously right, right in the, the, the deep end with what you were doing. I got the the peripherals of this my two pals and I, we were, we were, we fannies went around annoying the, the neighbors and blah, 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 blah. And we'd get taken home and get brought down to Mary police station from time to time and kept in for the night or whatever. We were, we were, we fannies, but we were not bad. Do you know what I mean, we were not mm-hmm. going out to stab, we were not going out to slap, blah, 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 And we got taken by a guy called Raymond Pratt, um, down to the Lake district for a, for a weekend, but we could put in boys for govern uh. and, uh, we we kind of seen fuck these guys, you know they are, you know they were they yeah, the were proper hard men. Fucking, well, they, uh, they, they had, one of them had a blade with him and he's like, ah fucking stab you and all that, blah blah. And we were like, right, probably don't want to come on another one of these weekends, you know. So uh-huh. maybe we won't go egging houses or whatever, you know.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'll give you a quick anecdote about exactly Dude, that thing. <laughs> another, we went to Harry Burns. We also approached uh, um, at the time a guy called Brigadier David Alfrey in Maryhill Barracks. He was OIC Scotland, right? So him up, down he see us. So he came down with his adjutant, a, a, a young captain, and he came down in fatigues, walked from hill. didn't he? Um, we were just next to Pitt Street at, at um, West George Street. Came in, told him his story. Right, 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 I'll see what I can do. Anyway, long story short, he phoned me up about six weeks after that and said, right, I've got a space for 10 of your guys to go on an Outward Bound up at, because uh, we'd started the Gangs Project by then, I think it was Rothey Marcus that was that, and he said, but you need to send a couple of cops to them. I said, oh, what your guys fear them? Is that the story? I said, the troops to the, the wee boys of House. And we're laughing, a wee joke. So we get a couple of cops and we get 10 guys for the for the group that were, who were on different gangs and they went up. So the first night was an icebreaker, right? So. It's all NCOs that are there. So there's a couple of NCOs there. There was one for the parachute regiment. There was a couple for the fusiliers. Anyway, there was about eight or nine of them. And they're breaking the ice. So, of course, the boys ask the question, You ever shot MD? You ever killed MD? You ever, you know, you ever, you ever stabbed MD? You know, look at this. I get stabbed there. And all of a sudden, they start showing their scars. I get battered there where a brick. Look at that. I get stabbed there. With that. I get slashed there. With a... And they, all of a sudden, these guys, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> and over the next. I think it was seven days they were there. They did everything. These guys loved them because the NCOs loved them. They would say, "Right, we're going to go no them. All. Who's up for that?" And all the hands would go up. Who knows what upscaling yeah. is? All the hands would get they, in. But they were just up for it. Up for but them. on the final yeah, night, yeah, yeah. on the final night, or the second, second last night, or final, I can't remember. It was one of the young guys' eighteenth birthday, right? So the NCOs bought a cake and brought it in, put it in. And there was the joke about when they handed him a knife. Don't give him a knife, you know, all that stuff. He didn't know what to do, Because he'd never had a birthday cake mm. in his life. Yeah. No, it's a silly wee thing. Mm-hmm. But you imagine it's a silly wee thing. You know, that yeah. it's that Mother Teresa quote, there's nothing worse in the world. They mean nothing to nobody. Exactly. That's the worst thing in the world. So when you say hope, mm-hmm. that hopelessness is absolutely devastating it's corrosive yeah, if you don't yeah, and if you don't know anybody you know mm-hmm. we used to talk lovely expressions a wholly worthless household mm-hmm. described it in social terms but it meant that the young people in there never actually saw empty getting up and going to their work never mm-hmm. saw empty getting up well, and doing it's, that it's you know
1: it comes into there's a charity that we we also work or, or i do some work with called uh, g20 it's mm-hmm. a youth group yeah and they're doing fantastic work Girl Emily that leads <laughs> it there is is unbelievable. And they've got a lot of other, uh, you know, great, great people there. I took a group to do Ben Nevis um a, f- a while back. And like in 2022, you know, like I'm going, fucking hell, how sheltered am I that I, I I forgot or failed to realize that there's still, you know, we went and picked up a young boy from his house. His mother couldn't, couldn't get up out of bed to get him out to go on oh. this trip to Ben Nevis. He'd never been out of Glasgow. We're driving up Loch Lomond and he's like looking at me and he's going, what's that called? What's that? I was like, that's Loch Lomond. I thought Loch Lomond was at Baloch. Aye, but it goes all the way up as well, oh. pal. And you know, and then we're driving through Glencoe with this group of young boys who as I learned really genuinely had never been out of Glasgow. And oh. they're like, oh, fuck, you know, man, It's the James Bond shit, man. Like, up been there and it's mad and as i say you go like that still exists very much so right you know not far away from where we live at all Mm -hmm. a mile within where you live and you've got Mm -hmm. people who again the conditioning is you know they they don't know any different it's just like this is my this is my world it's a it's a mile diameter and i don't go out of that because outside of it is unknown to me and unsafe and you know again like mentally you don't even get to consider how your mental health is in that situation. All you're doing is living a day-to-day survival. Huh. And as you say, Dan, you know, Dan, Dan, Dan McGarvey does put it very well when he talks about it, he put up something really simple uh, on, on Facebook and it comes back to your early years thing. It said, you know, something like, um, uh, something like eight out of 10 children who are read to, um, consistently uh, uh, when their children will go on to, mm-hmm. um, academic careers mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, before you know it, there's all this fucking mad debate under his comments. He came back and said, you know, like, I was just simply making the point, read it to your kids. Oh, yeah. I wasn't here mm-hmm. for a big fight or everything like that. No. Oh, no, I fucking oh, did I, fine I and fuck- mama oh, never uh, read to me and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's it's that. It's like, calm down. Look at the positive thing. I know. You know, and see, he's putting try to put something out there that's positive, that can support, you know. But that's, you the,
2: don't need uh, to have. that's the mentality of people. in in the West of Scotland or or in a lot of working class areas throughout the UK and beyond is that, you know, it's not, they're not, they don't, their first instincts not to say, Oh, that's interesting. I could have a look at that. They go, are you fucking talking about? It's it's but the. Do you know uh, what I mean? It's, it's, it's like it's a like hard an instant.
0: One, it's a hard one. Yeah. An instant defense oh, mechanism. it is. It's anotherisation of things. You try to blame. You you, you always want to think there's somebody worse than you. Mm-hmm. You know that, that that makes you feel better. Do you know, I mean, they're seeing an example of that right now with the the rhetoric around the immigrants. They're trying mm-hmm. to make, you know are the asylum seekers. They're trying. Shit, man. They, they're, they're, they're just trying to make that something. Saying, I know you life shit, but they're even worse. Don't you worry about yourself. Oh, you're right enough. I agree with you. They're bad, and you think, mm-hmm. wait a minute, and and then you then you miss. You missed the point, but I remember being challenged because I'd said something similar to that. And, and eventually I, I think I said to them, look, the most important thing you give your children is time, your time. Now you yeah. can spend that time reading, building Lego, but it's the time. It's the fact that you're actually there with them, focused on them, you together being mm. like that. Yeah. And adults yeah. are yeah. the same.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now There are a few adults that are quite, com- I mean, I'm comfortable in my own company. I can, you know, I don't have a, but, but the truth of the matter is I wouldn't like to date for longer than a couple of weeks. Do you know yeah, be, yeah. be on my own you need yeah, to have yeah and it's that no, connection i think that's and hugely I think you're, important you're
1: absolutely right um just to you know sort of illustrate the point you're making uh my daughter normally goes swimming swimming lesson on a tuesday and um we decided I, I decided that actually do you know what i can probably just do the swimming for now she's she's competent in the pool and she's good and actually do you know what that's about a daddy daughter time that we get together uh-huh. so tuesday there i picked her up and um we were walking, I said, oh, So we go swimming? She says, Oh, maybe can we maybe just go to the library instead? So this is something that we used to do. I'd like two days a week I would finish early, and one day, half day a week would be us, and we'd go and do things, we'd go climbing mm-hmm. wall, blah blah blah. But that but now that she started school and other things changed, that we weren't actually getting that time. And she was like, actually, can we just go to the library no. like we used to? And we sat there, and as you say, the books that way that we were reading, she's they're, they're not you know they're not important to her but what was important and i could literally feel it was that she was like oh, me and my daddy are sitting having time together Absolutely. nobody else is involved my wee brother's not involved my mum's not involved there's no other pals there's nobody and i could actually feel she yes. was so engrossed uh, it wasn't really about the words it was just about the two of us uh, you know probably. and then this morning we're driving to work and she said um See the next daddy daughter day, Daddy, can we um can we sort out all the medals? Says mm-hmm. uh, there's medals my wife and I run and mm-hmm. whatever blah, blah blah. We've got a bunch of medals, and she's like, "Can we sort out the medals?" She's starting to now come up, and it just exactly as you say, it just illustrates that's that's what they're looking for. You don't need to have, you know, you need to spend a hundred quid no, a month. sending them swimming lessons. It's, it's, you know, it's to the make time. you think you're a good parent. It's actually, so, don't so.
2: spend that, and actually spend like, it. like, like one of it, one it, one it. It's a bit normalizing that 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 talk uh, that idea you know that, that that's the right thing to do even, and, and especially in our you know, job as i've said before you know i know from my point of view when I, my kids were growing up i was yeah. never there i was working uh, all the it, time it's still you, so know, much, so still you know so you're still you much, know there's still so much um, of that going on now there's
1: still so much work to be done i mean i, I so i as anybody who's ever listened to podcasts i work at uh, in in bars road and so walking even when i'm walking with isla Holding hands walking down the street, Island, you get like older people going, Oh, look at yeah, you, that's dead, good, dead, good. Like, as if that, like, it's abnormal that a, uh, ma- that, like, a dad is walking down holding hands with his daughter. I
0: like, remember, that I be I, entirely normal. My, but you still I, I get in fairness, they're maybe saying that
2: to you in Byers Road because you're not wearing pink trousers and a green top. <laughs> yeah, that's stereotype.
0: But I mean, I, I remember taking my youngest daughter to a playgroup, or toddlers' playgroup, I think it would have been, when she, and she was in a pram and walking, but she'd maybe about two and a half or something. Um, she's now 38. And I remember getting up and they were saying, oh, are oh, you babysitting today?" I said, no, I'm actually fathering. Oh, I, I, right. But men have stepped back. We've stepped back and left it to women. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's a whole big debate about, you I know, mean, I, 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 do a lot of work with early years and, and I remember, and, and health visiting, health visiting is a huge issue. Um, and we are underplaying it. Um, and I was interviewed by David Leisk, I think, 2007 or 8 or something. I was trying to pick a fight. And sometimes the best way to progress things is to pick a fight, you know, to, to get the say something outrageous and folk will get a discussion going. Sadly, you need to do it that way. But, but anyway, I had said, David had said, it was just before an election in Scotland, and David had said, they're talking about a thousand extra cops. You know, and he says, they'll be going for one, you know, the other. And I said, I, I said, that, that'd be good. I said, I a cop, of course I'd like a thousand extra cops. I said, but you know, it'd be really clever. A thousand extra health visitors. I said, that would be smart. That would be strategic. That would be thinking. Mm-hmm. So David went away. He phoned me up He says, John, I'm just looking at my notes. You actually said you'd rather have a thousand extra health visitors. Aye, go for it. Right. So it goes in the paper and he tries to get people. He goes to the federation, police federation. Well, we want a thousand extra cops, but I know what John means. Because I had that respect that they wouldn't just do me down And they couldn't get empty. So I became a pin up at the bloody health visitors. I got invited to to the health visitors <laughs> conference in Liverpool, right? Now the day before it, I was in Belfast. And I was speaking to the Joint Police Board about the same thing. And I was speaking for an hour and a half, and and, and the joint police board in Northern Ireland is still, if the deputies from one side of the divide then the chairs for the other, there, you know, there was two of them that was divided right down the middle. Mm. Some really good people doing their very best and in and, mm. and, and difficult circumstances, they've got real challenges. And, and the chair had said to me, I, and I'll not attempt the accent, I don't see what this is going to be about us, you know, early years and stuff like that, and, and, and you know, police I don't, I don't see, I don't think we're at that yet. I said, okay, that's no, fine. He said, but you know, welcome here, blah, blah, blah. So I did my hour and a bit and a guy came up to me and he said, I know exactly what you mean now. I'm sorry I said that to you at the start. I actually see it. I get it. I said, well, can I tell you something? You know where I'm going now? I said, I'm going to Liverpool and I'm going to speak to 1,200 health visitors. And the theme in their conference is breastfeeding. I said, but I'm not speaking about breastfeeding. I said, you know what I'm speaking about? I said exactly the same thing. The only slide that's different in their presentation is the front slide.
2: Because they can be the Because the message
0: is the same thing. Yeah. We're all humans. And, and, and all I used to say is, I'm telling you the message. If you're a social worker, you see where it applies. The, the expression I always use that I get is start where you are and do what you can, right? What you're doing, the barber, start where you are and do what you can. Now, the public health thing, one of the things we did similar to that, which is where they'll be getting the idea from, which is maybe about how they're progressing, is Medics Against Violence. We had um, every, every six hours somebody was turning up at Glasgow Dental Hospital with a serious facial injury as a result of violence. Every six hours, 24 hours, you know, it worked out like that. So in public health, they talk about teachable moments, right? You wake up with an extreme hangover. You've been blitzed for days. That's the moment you want to think of it. Stop you know, the second or third of January. If you're a woman in the dress, does they fit you? Because you've been eating too many mince pies. That's the time you're going to die. The teachable moment when you're in the prison cell over the weekend with the police cells, teachable moment. How the fuck did I get here? The day we drink, right? Get somebody to speak to them. No when they go out, no when they go home, no when they get another bottle of bocky, but there and then, speak to them then, teachable moment. So we decided we'd do an intervention when they were getting the stitches in and their stitches out. So Medics Against Violence was set up then by Christine Goodall at the dental hospital, who you should get to speak to. And Christine um, then said, look, we've got other teachable moments. And this was about domestic violence. Hairdressers. where do women feel safe? Now, they boys felt safe in there because it's a it's a doctor relationship. They know what they say is not going to go anywhere else. They can speak to folks That's a, and and it's the same with the barber. You've the, the so we set we up with the hairdresser.
1: Yeah, we always talk about the, the fact that you don't have skin in the game. Your barber, he's not going to turn up to the pub or turn up no. to your family get get together and go. Why oh, mind you are telling me about that or whatever?
0: And that's what makes it feel safe. Uh, well, we did it with dentists. And then what we did with it, we introduced it with dentists first of all. So a dent, because if, if in, in domestic abuse, tooth knocked out, to you need to get it fixed. But at the dentist, they see bruises in the neck, they see bruises inside of the face. So we introduced this, I can't remember what the, the mnemonic is for it, but it was non-judgmental. And just saying things like, that's an unusual mark you've got on the side of your neck. Listen, if there's, if there's anything you need to do that, you know, you, you need to get in touch with MD. And, and they started, some women would open up. Then they maybe wouldn't leave their husband there and then, or their partner there and then, and stop it. Mm-hmm. But, but they would get a telephone number, they would get a connection, they would Spirit. get it there. Yeah. And then we started trying to introduce it into hairdressers, because in hairdressers as well, but for lots of the hairdressers, they're victims of domestic violence too. And, and so it's just about that teachable moment, meet people where they are and do what they can. And I think it, it would be the same, you know, in terms of, we, we talk about mental health and use that expression, mental health, and so people think, well, health and it, so it must be a day with doctors, not a day with me. It's nothing to do with the fact that it's just two buddies, you know, it's two guys, it's three guys having a pint and going, hey, how are you doing? You know, it's just, it's just a big way. And and if you've got good relationships with your mates around about you and you talk about things and it's free, you don't even think about it. You just do it because you've always done it. Interestingly
1: enough, Jamie and I have been invited on BBC Radio on Sunday to talk about male friendship. You know, and the the impacts of that on your mental health. Absolutely. And um and and mate, and I think the message is going to be, or the message is definitely maintain your relationships because it's about loneliness. It's mm-hmm. so about male loneliness, and then the 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 decline in your mental uh-huh. health. Uh, that's on Sunday. Um. So so it's so it's uh-huh. in the focus. and you don't need to formalize the these things. I mean, I
0: play <laughs> golf, and, and there are times you're playing, and the boys will say, "How do you play?" I I am a shite, but a good crack. Now, if you say to them, <laughs> "That'll be helping your mental health." They don't know what you're talking and they don't mm. need to nah. know about it. It's yeah. like, you know, so make it unconscious. It's just absolutely. it's just it just needs to be that thing that we um, do because as humans, that's what we're if we're not doing it, we're working against our biology. We're working against think, everything yeah, we're meant uh, to absolutely, be. Absolutely. Yeah. You know I
1: think it's important. Um the important part of that is I've got I've got a lot of good friends, right? I would suggest I would say. But I have probably two maybe three friends who the mask is off i don't need to hide anything from these friends mm-hmm. they've been my friends forever they're the two that i got sent on the outward bound course with mm-hmm. and i can sit and tell them about my mom about my job about my money worries about my you know my wife my, and 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 so be aware and have those friends that you know you don't need to ever have any mask on because that's the, the the conversation keeps coming around men having to wear masks, people having to wear masks and, and that being a drain on your mental health. Oh. Identify in your circle those people that you don't ever have to have your mask on. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying dump anybody off because you'll still have other very good friends that you just choose not to mm-hmm. share everything with. But identify those that you can absolutely share. Anything. Yeah. Nothing's off limits, uh, yeah. you know, because that's what will help you stay in a good place mentally. Uh, and I,
0: And I think it's difficult too because... Over the over the past, you know, the, the world we live in now values commodity above community. The value you know, the world we live in, the value frame is always about money. I mean, the very first thing you spoke about in the other day was funding. I mean, that that's what we do. And I, I don't mean that's not a criticism, but that's that's what we do, that's how we think. Oh, it's funding, it's fun. Bec- and and that's the way we've become. We haven't you know, we've put that value in things that's about funding. Mm-hmm. And and if you think of the the, the Every public organisation tries to be like a private, you know, a, a, a commercial enterprise. You know, where, you know what's your USP and you know what's your vision statement and what's your goals and mm-hmm. I, I mean, and it's an absolute nonsense. And what happens is people get so wrapped up in that that they they, they find it hard to separate themselves as human beings and get back out of it. I mean, I, I joke about the. You know, the, the only department in any organization with human in the title is human resources. And mm-hmm. there's an irony in that because they're the worst humans in the world. I don't mean the individuals. <laughs> they're the worst humans in the world. And, and I, when you have the debate, remember about when we used to hit kids with a belt in the school. We'll look back on that and think, why would mm-hmm. you do that? Mm-hmm. Because we looked back then and thought, why would you pick kids up chimneys? Mm-hmm. Now we look back and think, well, why would we hit them with a belt? Well, and now we need to look back and say, well, why would you slap a kid? And And we're we're progressing. Exactly. And
2: that's what I'm talking about. That's the background I came from, you know, both domestically and at at school. I think what's interesting, again, is it it just comes back to that word education. I have this conversation with my daughter, Katie, all the time. And I say that to her, I'm proud of her anyway, whatever she did. But the fact she went into that and was always focused on that from a wee girl, she was always, that was what she wanted to do. And I said to her, do you know what? You know, people talk about the job we did being an important job. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is an important job. But the most important job is educating these kids because that's the key to them changing. uh That's the key to them breaking out of their circumstances and spreading that education elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You've already kind of uh, mentioned one of the points I I was going to ask you, um, and that was you've mentioned mental health and you know i'm interested in the statistics around men and violence and 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 their link with mental health Uh, you know was that a a causal link was that identified fairly early you know people have obviously done various papers on it you'll be aware of i'm not and and did you find what i'm particularly interested in from our point of view and what i found in my my experience was that people talked a lot about it was fine to talk about the impact of violence on people's mental health when you were talking about victims quite rightly people talked about that but from the point of what you're talking about and talking about taking these guys away and changing that attitude how did you find that that violence impacted upon perpetrators of that violence as mm-hmm. well as the obvious effect oh, yeah, absolutely. There was victims? Uh, well,
0: first of all violence... how do
2: you how did you set about trying uh, to change that
0: the first thing is violence is a man thing. It's a man thing. Um, you know, most wars started in Maine. That's how they solve a problem. You know, that's collective violence. War's collective violence. Um, self-directed violence is, is suicide. Um and, and it's it's really and it's it's three quarters of the suicides here are, 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 are in Scotland are Maine. Uh, um and it's one of the highest rates. And then that's not to say there are no violent women. Of course there are, but they're the exception that prove that. Prove the rule. They're, they're, they're no, you know, women find different ways of dealing with things they're, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're, you know, if it's the old, if men can lead, can it, 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 if um, women can lead, men can nurture because men think that's a soft skill. Yeah. That's how, if you go, if you look at, if I speak to an early years conference, um, say with the health visitors, I remember the health visitors, there was, uh, 1,250 odd people there. Cause I got the figures. There was eight men, you know, and out of the eight men, there was me that was speaking there was a three technicians and I think there was a couple of doctors or somebody else that was there. Do you know? They're no I'm speaking to an mm. early years conference, it's yeah. all women. And I say, why is it all women? Because the wages are crap. Because we don't value them. Mm. They get paid, you know, we privatized it, which is a political end, but we, but they get paid minimum wage. So we don't value them. We don't think of early years, you know. The education begins when they go to primary school. No, it doesn't. Oh, oh no. the, there's more, there's more work been done and we're now learning that. I mean, upstarts, another great thing because another thing I, We we send our kids to school too early. They shouldn't go to school until they're at least six, probably seven, because up until then they should be fawn out of trees and enjoying themselves and playing mm-hmm. and play is learning. Mm-hmm. That's the side of your brain that we shut down. Yeah. We shut it down because we, there are, I think there's something like 20 odd countries in the world who still send their kids to school at five or, or less. And they're all ex Commonwealth countries. And you know why we send them to school? To get them ready for work. So their mothers can get back to work. That's how we've got early years in care. We've organised all these wonderful care places. I so you can get their mothers back to work. Because we don't pay mothers enough either. You go to Sweden, they get two years paternity leave or, or, or maternal maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And you can share it between mum and dad because we value being a parent. Mm-hmm. So, that, so the man thinks they're important. We found it really difficult, Jamie, sorry to get back to your question. We found it really difficult to start with. And again, I think it was because I was a cop that could get away with it. I said, look, I'm not making excuses for the guy who stabbed him. I've locked up enough people and put them in the jail for that. I've done that. You haven't done it. I've done it. I've locked them up and put them away and I'll still do it. And there'll still be guys who'll need. We can't stop. This is a moving thing. It's like trying to service your car while it's going down the motorway at 70 miles an hour. That's what we're trying to do. I said, so all I'm saying is, I'm trying to understand why it happened, because I don't want fewer murderers, I want fewer victims, and that's, that's the goal, and the only way you'll do that is to understand why did that guy want to murder him, and if we understand that better, then we can think about prevention, and early years is a first, it's not, it doesn't mean if you don't do it in the early years, you can't do it any other time, but early years is, hugely important and we just pay lip service to it we're still paying lip service to it.
2: So mm-hmm. did you sit down and have Indeed. conversations with individuals about how they'd come to, to be in the position they found themselves not, in? Not deliberately, somebody?
0: not deliberately. No, I, I, I looked at research. I know people, uh, um, James Doherty works for us. James, you know, uh, uh, um, is in recovery, has been a long time. He's a mentor, spent time in uh, uh, in jail and he'll he'll tell his story about how he got there and what it was about. Um, Paul Brannigan, um, I remember, uh, uh Paul Brannigan, um, started in the angel share, which is a film, right? Which mm-hmm. was a bit early years, which mm-hmm. they came to us and it was us that advised. If you watch it right to the end, we'd advise us at the end of it. But how that came about was, um, it was, uh, Paul Laverty was the writer and he, but Kenny, Mac- he's a pal of Kenny McCaskill's. And he said, would you speak to this guy, Paul Laverty, he's wanted to do some stuff about early years and gangs and he's staying at Glasgow and he, and he writes for a guy and he's for Ken Loach. Ken Loach is the director. So we took him along, met him a couple of times, saw what we are doing and, and introduced him to some of the guys at the football and he met Paul Brannigan, and he said to Paul, why don't you come down to, to, to London and read for this? Because Ken Loach usually takes somebody who's never been an actor before and puts them in it. So he took Paul down, um, I remember getting him down as a challenge. He came into your office and said, I've got my ticket. I'm going to I've got a plane down to London. I said, What time's your flight? He says I said, It's one o'clock. You'll to go. It's not 215. He said, It's just 20 minutes down the road. Never been on a plane before. The point you are wow. talking about. Yeah. Anyway, we get him down yeah. to London. He reads the script. He gets the part. He stars in it. He does really well. He wins a BAFTA newcomer. He ends up in River City. He does a film with Scarlett Johansson. Does really well. He was a methadone baby. All he knew was violence. He was serving a seven-year sentence for violence in Pullman. He went in there when he was 16. So seven years, it was a sore one, right? One of the prison officers in there said to him, you're in here for a while, son. You're unlikely to go to a big prison because you'll see your youth out here. What are you into? Fitba, right. Get into Fitba. So he was into the Fitba playing. And then he said, to the, the prison officer said to him, see, when you're at it, why don't you try and do some certificates. And then you can coach when you go. Paul didn't want to do it. Paul could barely read or write because he'd been expelled from school. He had been shoved out of school because he didn't conform. The guys we were talking about earlier
1: mm-hmm.
0: almost primary school, he got thrown at So what the prison officer did was he started getting him in newspapers. Then he gave him out a pen and a notebook. Then he gave him out a dictionary. What your you're stuck with he gives a shout. Paul did that for three years. So see, when he came out, he could go down and read a script for Ken Loach. So you start where you are and you do what you can. But the prison That's officer true. didn't he say, if you read this script, boy, you'll uh, be able to, you'll yeah, we'll yeah. get a BAFTA. You'll get to snog yeah. Scarlett Johansson. You'll get to do that. <laughs> you don't know where it's going. Yeah, you don't know where yeah, it's going. Yeah, yeah. We, we, ran a, we ran a thing at Pullman, a, 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 a CBT program, cognitive behavioral therapy program, for 12 guys. 11 in the past. It lasted six months. So Karen and I decided to get them watches and it was just a, it was a Ben Sherman watch. They were about 20 quid each, leather straps, and on the back, we put the date, well done. And that was it. And their name because they passed and they were getting certificates. Two of the guys had never owned a watch in their life before at Pullman. They're doing it. Anyway, fast forward 10 years, 11 years. Karen is now chief executive of Community Justice Scotland. She's in her office and our pa comes in and says karen you need to meet uh, um jamie jamie's the guy who's taking over her comms all right bring him in shakes a hand jamie says we've met before have we mm-hmm. mm-hmm. should i watch
2: brilliant brilliant you know that, that's and rats. it's that
0: it's that so that notion when you're having a blather with your mate who's a wee bit down and you just ask him the right question and say what's the script how are you getting on what's the story and you know and you know i'm here and date and applaud and go a bit further yeah
1: that's the stuff. The spectrum of what uh, people have to deal with across Glasgow is so huge, you know it really is. Uh, but that doesn't mean that any one person within that spectrum is insignificant, you know. Whether it be myself, whether it be the oh, boy from Easterhouse, whatever. you know, we we can all have pals. We can mm-hmm. all you know get together and, and and look after each other. That's what it's about, you know. Um,
0: and it's, it's the simplest thing of things, though. But it's that it's the, it's not making it that. This is a mental health thing, therefore you need to go on a course yeah. to do it. Now, there are some people who are in a place where they actually need professional help. They need good yeah. counselling, they need yeah. professional help. Of course they do. But we shouldn't need medicalise everything. We shouldn't overplay the notion or underplay the value of solid friendship. Taking it away from community, because a lot of this stuff can exist in the community. Taking it or making it
1: separate from community, that it needs to be uh, a professional uh, service, or you need to be in a waiting list, or you need to get fixed. You know, Kirsty and another pal of mine... Um, we're we're talking about doing retreats, um, health, mental health and wellbeing retreats, and you know we're playing about with a title of what we're going to call it, and the idea that people need fixed, picked up, and put back together yeah. and fixed is bullshit. bullshit. You know it really is, and we were talking about that, um, and 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 so helping people understand, yes, you can improve your your outlook, your life, your your you know you can get a bit more educated, whatever, but you're you're not a broken individual. You're not not worthwhile in society and and, absolutely. and, and we, when we can really get people to understand that better, then we'll have less
0: people needing medication uh-huh. and we'll have less people uh, needing to see specialists. Because yeah. I think the language is important. I, I was on the independent care review. It's the best thing I've ever done. But I was on independent care review and came across a lot of fabulous people, absolutely outstanding folk. And I, and I say to people, if if you want to understand the importance of relationships, then look at the care system. 2% of the population of Scotland are care experienced. Over 50% of Berliners are care experienced. And they reflected that, that, that disproportionate is reflected in suicide, mental health, addiction services, all the same. And I remember speaking to a young woman who was in care and one of the things she said to me it really struck home. She said, I was taken away from my family and I was given a service and what I actually needed was love. And it's as simple as that. And I mean, I know it Absolutely. sounds twee. I mean, I remember when in, I one of fiver half the team once because I said love on live television. They said, you'll know say love. I said, I bet you do. And it was um, on STV getting interviewed about crime figures and they were really down by that time. Um, and uh, he said, what do you think it is? I said, it's a whole combination of things. It's teachers, it's parents, it's communities. It's the young people themselves. I said, maybe they just feel loved. Because if they feel loved... That- I I think at
2: the end of the day, you know, if you you take everything aside and and just package it into that one word, that means so many things. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's been something that in in working class areas, whether it's the (laughs) west of Scotland, whether it's Liverpool, (laughs) Manchester or parts of London or whatever, people never used that word. I had a conversation with somebody recently talking to me about their relationship with their father and saying to me, my father never told me you love me. I says, join the queue. Uh-huh. Mm. I says, it's it's not some people talked about, especially yeah. not my father's that, generation, but sure. you know, 1924, they didn't talk about that. Yeah. I, I I think to kind of bring things to a conclusion here. I, I mean, I think what's so important here is that that what the VRU did and what, and what you guys did coming up with that idea and being open to working with other people and, and taking uh, solutions, coming up with solutions, and not as so much as I encountered in the latter part of my uh, service to the police as a civilian was people coming up with ideas and great names, but there was no meat to them. There was nothing behind that. There's no point in having an initiative or, a, or but, anything like that unless there's something behind can, it.
0: But you have to know as well how, how difficult and, and it'll probably, Round off when you were saying at the start, you know, how the VRU was saying there were challenges using, uh, you know, public health and doing stuff. with. When we went national, I went round about every force in and every chief constable, every chief every that I knew, a whole lot. Well, then Borders was one that I went to a lot. And I got invited by Ian Livingston, the chief constable, along with Harry Burns up to Tully Allen about four years ago, three years ago. And um, he said, I just want to chat to you. Come up. So I went up with Harry Burns and he he came in and Malcolm Graham came in, who's the deputy chief. I know Malcolm. And uh, Ian Livingston, I know quite well. Ian says, John, we want to date what you were asking us to date 10 years ago. Malcolm's going to take over as public health lead, the deputy, and we're going to do things with the public health framework. He says... I don't know how we did any date back then. I says, aye, you do. Back then, if Strathclyde police had a cure for cancer, Lothians would never interested. <laughs> and and the truth, it would have been the same the other way around. It was, it was, because when we talk about gangs, sex, they're the biggest sex. gangs. Yeah, yeah. Education, police, social work, yeah. it, health, they've all got gangs. Their right, own language, they think they're the best. Mm. They want the money. It's yeah. their idea. Yeah. They're the... They're the best. So the reason they're moving forward now is because they're now thinking about in 2008, 2008, we had the guy who did the review on adverse childhood experiences, Vincent Felitti at Tully Allen speaking at WHU whole mm-hmm. conference 2008 in 2018 Scottish health or health service set up an ACES hub 10 years. It took them
1: <laughs>
0: and it was Polish that were talking about it. But the thing was, Willie Ray, let us do it. I had over thirty years' service, my pension was in the bank, and I quite honestly didn't give a shit, Scarlett. Scarlet. So this is this if this is fact, this is evidence, I'm saying it out loud. Like it or don't like it. I wasn't critical of anybody, but if I thought, well, why are you still doing that? That's that doesn't work. <laughs> do you know why? In fairness, <laughs> you did that long before. <laughs> that <as> well. <laughs> well, <it> was, <laughs> but there was no risk back then. There was no risk. I thought about it back like, then. No. Well,
2: listen, I think we'll we'll bring it to a conclusion there. I mean, I, literally, we could talk for another hour or more about the same subject. Certainly. John, uh, honestly, I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolute treat and so inspiring to listen to what you've had to say. Yep. Uh, thanks for much. No, it, you keep absolute. doing what you're
1: doing. John, yeah, indeed, exactly. I, I, I hadn't met you at all before today and... Just spending a short time listening to, you know, obviously the experiences you've pulled together, teams you've pulled together. This is what we need. We all, you know, we talk about all pushing in one direction. We try and speak to other charities. We speak to others, men's mental health charities. We're all pushing in the same direction. And I feel like I've sat in the room with a leader of that of
0: that uh, movement. So so my my thanks to you thanks very much. for that. Thank you. No, I mean, for me, it, it, when Jamie got in touch, you know, Jamie said, do you remember me? I said, of course I remember because he was a bullshit bugger. <laughs> Um, I, I don't remember, ever, did um, but no, m- m- my time has got a value and, and, and I think i my time now as saying I'm, I'm only going to get myself involved in things that, that matter. And I was speaking earlier on and saying, I get invited to speak at conference. And I said, well, I spoke at your conference five years ago. What, what am I going to say that's different? It's the same thing. And unless it's something different, but when you contacted me and you spoke and you said it's about, it's about men's uh, mental health and. Sp- easy. Aye, absolutely. It, it was, you know, it was just Fantastic. It was really well, because yeah. that's, that's the key. That's the key. You know, there, there's loads and loads of stuff run about, but it's about relationships and it's about together. It's about understanding that, that we're human first. And I know it's old fashioned and stuff and it it's not meant to be religious or evangelical, but we're humans first. That's the things that connect us. Um, and that's the things that are hugely important to us. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, well, brilliant. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks. We'll thanks guys. That. Thanks
1: Paul. Hi folks. Thanks for listening to our Brothers in Arms podcast. The reason we do the podcast is to normalize the conversation around men's mental health. We have fantastic resources on our website, brothersinarmsscotland.co.uk, which you can access or point any man in need towards. These include our online platform, MenGage, our Brothers in Arms Thrive app, where you can access our free therapy services and much, much more. If what we've talked about on the podcast today has resonated with you and you've enjoyed listening, Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and remember to share with friends and on social media. Thanks for listening.